The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now we have our Friday Forum assembled. Jane Matthews, political reporter with the Journal.ie, Keno Callan, deputy leader of the Social Democrats and TD for Dublin Bay North, Cormac Devlin, TD for Dunleary, Fianna Fáil Chief Whip and Deputy Government Whip. Uh, good morning and welcome one and all. Um, let's start with the Children's Hospital. Now we'll go to the politicians in a moment. Jane, yeah. what do you think? We don't know when it's going to be ready and we don't know ultimately what it's going to cost. Yeah, absolutely. Like we do, There is an awful lot that we don't know. Um, we had the Taoiseach come out last week and he said that um, it could be 2025 before we actually have patients in the hospital. And I think that was the first time that 2025 date was kind of put out there by the government. Um, and then obviously last week as well, we kind of did learn a bit more information. We saw David Gunning, the um, chief executive of the, the hospital's development board. He appear, appeared before the Oireachtas Health Committee to answer questions. Um, and obviously, like a big part of the delay has been this breakdown between in the relationship between the the board and the the contractor BAM, um, and all of these additional claims of costs that are there. I actually have sympathy with um, both parties in this BAM, who were asked to build something without having definitive plans, and the board, who were really not responsible for the genesis of this ill-starred project anyway. Yeah, absolutely, and that's fair. I think, and it's it's come to a head now, and I think it's been interesting. I had a look back there yesterday to see, um, you know, what David Gunning was kind of saying about the situation in 2021. And he was talking about it. He was saying, you know, we want to return to the collaborative and the cooperative relationship that we had to start and compare to what he was saying last week. And he was firmly laying the blame at the feet of the, the contractor for these delays. And he was saying, you know, unless they basically get their skates on, we're not going to see any movement on this. Keen. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the problems with the Children's Hospital does uh, stem from, I, I think, look, the decision in terms of location that was always going to be a very challenging uh, location for any contractor, any builder. So that's some of the issues do stem from that. Uh, look, a lot of people felt it should have gone uh, on a greenfield site, which would have been much easier to build out, less less expensive, less less constraints. But also then those issues around the tendering process and the design and the fact that they effectively tendered for a contractor without the full design being in place. And we're really seeing... Those two poor decisions, and we're really seeing the costs of yeah. that uh, come through. I remember, point. though, and I've mentioned it several times on the programme, that when Leo Radker, now Taoiseach, was Minister for Health, um, he assured me that they would be applying for planning permission jointly for the maternity hospital and the children's hospital at St. James at the same time. Now, it turns out they may not have room for the movement of the coom. So that whole trilocation thing goes out the window. Yeah, and, and which which is a huge concern. But also then, look, at some point there's going to need to be expansion as well. So look, I'm all for using, you know, city centre and inner city sites for different projects and I'm all for regeneration. But if you're doing a very complex project like a National Children's Hospital, why make things that bit more difficult, that more expensive? And we're seeing that all play out now. Uh, somewhere, if it had gone somewhere like Connolly, where there's a lot of space, very accessible from all different parts of Dublin, more importantly, very accessible from other parts of the country as well. Why not have gone for a location like that? So we are, you yeah. know, that, that we are paying and, and costs car, for that Car now. parking, a fraction of the cost for overground uh, car parking compared to underground car parking. And you worry about um, car parking, whether it's petrol driven or battery driven cars. If there's a fire in the car parking, you have therapeutic spaces above. That's a worry. Well, there's all of these issues. Now, I think the, look, the tendering process as well, not having a proper finalised uh, design, that lends itself then to disputes between the board and the contractor. Sure. And again, we're seeing... As we're seeing anyone who's that. built anything in their lives knows, you know, you want to move the switch from A to B and that'll be another 150 euro, please. Oh, the fireplace, you want to move that as well? That's two grand. You know, 
that everybody who's ever yeah, built so, anything knows that's the way it so, works. So a process was designed almost or decided on that was going to lead to these sorts of sorts of outcomes. And I think there does have to be some responsibility uh, for that. And we are in a situation where, you know, Minister Health can't tell us, or the government can't tell us when is it going to be open and how much it's going to be costing. For such an important yeah. public infrastructure project, that's really not acceptable. And we need, you know, people should be able to have confidence in this. This should be a good news story for us as a country. We should all feel positive about such a, you know, hospital being built. And instead, it's, it's marred yeah. in this controversy. I mean, we know it'll be the most expensive uh, children's hospital in the world. Will it be the best? That's uh, an open question. Cormac, what is your take? You're, uh, you know, a member of a government party. Well, I hope it will be the best. And uh, and look, you know, ideally, if we we're starting again, maybe the site would be different and maybe the configuration would be different. Ultimately, I think what we have to have is we have to have a national children's hospital we can be proud of. We need it. It is essential for the country. Um, you know, it's 89% uh, complete. Um, to the figures I have. Uh, the cost is something I'm a member of the Public Accounts Committee and we have had Children's Health Ireland in several times. Obviously, it's a key concern for the Public Accounts Committee and ultimately, even back uh, late last year, they couldn't tell us the ultimate cost, what it's going to be, which is worrying. Uh, well, from it's a worrying on one level, but I can understand the boards not giving a final cost because they don't want to tell BAM what, what kind yeah. of money they have in their pocket. Correct. And then and then in terms of claims, uh, there's about 750 million euro of claims outstanding. Uh, they are being contested by uh, the development board of the hospital. Um, I think about 2%, which equates to about two million or 12 million euro has already been paid out. Um, but they're all being contested each claim. I visited the site myself yeah. uh, with the Public Accounts Committee and also previously as a member of the health, uh, the regional health forum. And I have to say it is magnificent. Uh, it's amazing what they fit into a quite a tight site yeah. um, but currently they're working on <laughs> the like, It's not as if this site landed from the moon they knew how tight it was they did. and they it's did. a working hospital so you're trying to you know service the 747 in midair that's yeah. because you've got to keep the working hospital of St. James going Correct. while you're building this Yes but I mean the actual state of the art facility that it will be once complete uh, is essential for children's health here in the country but, like Everything about this you know they're expecting the staff no matter what time they're working at to arrive by public transport. There's very little staff parking. Uh, they expect uh, parents of sick children to arrive with their sick children on the Lewis. I mean, the, the whole thing was daft from the very beginning. And, and that's why I say, look, ideally, you know, if it's something we were starting again, I think we would look to a different site um, to provide those but facilities. But you were told all of this stuff um, at the time. You were told, well, this we, is not, you know, rocket science. It's not so, suddenly we discover, oh, that sewer, the Drimna sewer has to be moved. You know, that was indicated at early the very on. beginning. Yeah, and again, having visited the site, I saw these complications early on uh, and I've seen the progress that's being made on it. Uh, currently, they're working on the helipad, uh, which will service not only the, the hospital of the children's hospital, but also St. Now, where's James's. the helipad going to be? Uh, well, it's going to be on the children's hospital On site, the roof? On the roof, yeah. Because yeah. they but told it, us they couldn't take uh, the typical uh, helicopters that are used by the rescue services because they'd be too heavy. Well, it's it's currently under construction. Um, so, uh, and and the roof garden itself for patients is spectacular views across Dublin, uh, and for families as well. Um, you know, there is accommodation as well provided for uh, families who have sick relatives there, sick children in the hospitals. So, um, all right, limited. Uh, this albeit, saga will will go on and on and on. And the fact that we don't know what the final bill is, as I say, not too surprising that uh, uh, they don't want to show their hand. I want to move on to, to housing and all the issues that revealed in the ESRI report. Now, uh, Jane, you are one of those people who uh, has been seeking housing. Tell me. 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess if we look at the report first from yesterday, um, you know, there's a lot of damning statistics in there, really. Um, you know, the report found that one in four renters pay more than 30% of their monthly take-home pay on rent, um, which is, you know, really significant. Another one in four people under the age of 34 are still living with their parents. Um, and then the report also highlight that, highlights that there's been a dramatic increase in people under the age of 40 living with their parents and that there's been a drop in home ownership um, rates among the under 40s. And I think it's interesting as well, this data in the report was from 2019. So there's obviously a lag yeah. there as well. And we know the situation, you know, hasn't really been improving in that period of time. So you wonder uh, when they say that we're not too far adrift of other European countries. Yeah. What we're perceiving is kind of a, a, a moving towards the norm. And I hate the idea that people would be condemned to rent for life. Because what happens when you retire and you don't have the income that you had when you were working? What happens to you then? Unless you can get into social housing, you're bunched. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's the question, and we, we've heard cases of people talking about that. You know, in the last few weeks, and people are in that situation, and there's just no answers there for them at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's definitely it's you know it's a situation that's going to linger on and continue to be a headache for the government. Um, Keen, the, the the argument might be that we are now a modern European economy, so our mores are going to change from the idea that you bought a semi-detached house in the suburbs of any of our cities and you did that maybe on one salary, uh, you know, a lifetime ago. Now it needs two. But even that idea of suburban living with the the three-bedroom semi with a garden front and back, that in a modern urban environment, that doesn't fit anymore and that's where we're heading. There's no question things have changed very significantly and they're going to change. So, you know, for example, housing is becoming more dense so that type of build, for example, you're talking about, you're going to, you know, obviously we're going to see less and less of that. That doesn't mean that we necessarily should be changing from a country where people have stable, secure housing, mainly through home ownership or maybe through a long term social secure social housing tenancy. Doesn't mean we should change from that to a, a, a country of renters. And that's exactly, though, what is happening now. And I think that's a political choice. And I don't think that's actually a direction that most people want to uh, go in. One of the interesting things from that report is it really showed the gap between generations. So 80% of uh, adults over, you know, over 40 years of age are homeowners, but then it's a, it's a fraction of that for people, adults under 40 years of age. So there's this big gap uh, breaking out. We've but the doesn't that simply reflect the way things used to be, that people would buy a house in the suburbs and so on? They are now, say, in, in where Cormac uh, is presiding as a TD for Dunleary, there'd be a lot of mature suburbs and the people occupying the houses are older people um, for whom that was their norm. And that has changed now. And, and it, that, it, that it, is reflected it, it, in the age cohort who own their own homes. It, it, it has changed. I don't, think, I don't think we should accept that, actually. As a country, we've put a massive amount of resources into housing from the foundation of the state. Uh, you know, in my constituency, Marino was built 100 years ago. Very, very successful community to stay, even the way it's designed around the Greens, communal mm-hmm. spaces, really good interaction between the neighbours. That was built as an affordable purchase. Uh, housing scheme uh, 100 years ago when the country had very little uh, resources and actually all over the country uh, very good high quality public housing was built uh, social housing and affordable purchase in my constituency in Donamead when you go around the community you'll meet people who have been there in their houses for 50 years and they'll tell you that what they did is when they were newly married they entered a thing called the newlyweds draw in the mansion house uh, where they were able to apply for a draw for an affordable purchase house 
And because they were able to get that affordable purchase house, everything else fell into place in terms of raising their family, getting involved in the local community, in the church, mm. GA, whatever it was. So that was re- very, very successful. We invested heavily into for, it. First time you couldn't do that. That'd be discriminating against single people. I know, yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah, no but kind of course you wouldn't do newlyweds draw now. But the the concept of it that you were helping people out, you know, you know, in terms of build, you know, getting a secure home. As they were starting out, but in life, I mean, the I state very, has multiple schemes, as you know, to try and get first-time buyers into, uh, in some way, into the the housing market and shared equity and all of those kind of things. You you might say they are the newlywed schemes of today. Well, in, in a lot of ways, a lot of those schemes push up uh, house prices, which is one of the problems with it. Whereas the affordable purchase uh, schemes that were done and are done now on a small level by the likes of Okulon are much more effective in terms of getting housing that people on you know, middle incomes can actually afford to afford to buy. So I think that model, which is done successfully now by Okulon, you know, they're they're building homes, high quality, A2 rated, three bed houses, uh, available at a purchase price of about 260,000 euro. That's a very good model and we should be doing a lot more of that. And the kind of obstacles that Okulon and, and other bodies like them face there, you know, government should be working to remove some of those obstacles. Um, uh, Cormac, uh, condemned to a lifetime of renting, and you, you might say that's a bit overblown, but uh, because you and I share a constituency, uh, I'm looking around and everything that's just been newly built is for rent. There's, everything, yeah. all the big blocks. So they, you know, your government is trying to persuade people to downsize. People who own their own homes are not going to downsize to rental for life. They, they want to buy something smaller. They cannot do so in Dunleary. Correct. There's a lot of people who are looking to right size. But however, it's not all to rent, uh, in fairness. Uh, there's quite a few uh, I can think of, and I presume you're thinking of those too, that are uh, cost the, rent. The big schemes. Or, um, yeah, build to rent. Uh, build to rent. Not, the big yeah, schemes are not, built to rent. Which is not something we favour. Um, that's being phased out. Um, because a large volume of of uh, land was um, basically earmarked for uh, built to rent, which is not sustainable for communities. Uh, ultimately, we want to see people purchase, uh, be that first time buyers or indeed, uh, as you say, people trading down. Um, but the target for affordable and uh, cost rental homes is 54,000 units between now and 2030. That's about 6,000 units of affordable housing per annum. Uh, and as you rightly said, there's a lot of different schemes contained in the Housing for All document. And I should say this report that you're actually talking about, the ESRI one, it was requested by the department. This is something that they were looking for, for data, for figures uh, to see how they can adapt housing for all to try and accommodate the needs of people but of it, all different ages. You, you know, I don't know how much it costs to build a house, but it's funny how you build a house in a part of a suburb of Dublin or an apartment and it costs a multiple of what it costs to build somewhere else, either a different country or a different part of our own country. And I'm, I'm wondering about that. Do, do you, I mean, do the developers not pull the wool over all your eyes? Well, there's no doubt that in uh, South County Dublin, um, there is higher cost uh, because of the land cost itself. Uh, and then obviously we've seen inflationary cost, uh, costs that have obviously impacted right across the country. Um, but uh, there are particular challenges in certain urban areas uh, for the cost of construction. Um, but that's where uh, the likes of the LDA and others come in uh, to assist the cost and to try and actually bring the, the cost down for the ultimate, the purchaser. Um, because we want to ensure that people who are either looking at the first time home or who are looking to uh, just mm. trade in uh, to another property, those people can do but, that. But what Gabe was talking about back in the day when you can see large swathes of the Dublin suburbs, which were built by the Dublin Corporation, as it was, and county councils. 
Um, that's not happening to any degree. We have depended on the private sector, on the developers who are profit driven. I mean, that's they will minimise what they put into an apartment and maximise the price they ask. That's but, the truth of it. Yeah, well, look, at the, on the affordable issue, and I'm delighted to hear Kean talk about it because we didn't get the support uh, from his party at the when we were bringing in the affordable housing bill. Uh, that, to me, is something that's really important. We need affordability. It was something that in the last decade was uh, scrapped and it's been brought back in now in recognition that young people in particular need to be able to yeah. and want to be able to buy But we have situations home. where uh, your uh, county council will be buying or being offered part five apartments at €600,000 a pop. Well, that's not the norm, but yes, there have been some I mean, eye-watering amounts. Yeah, I, I accept that some of the uh, properties have um, have been very, very high uh, cost. Um, but in saying that, um, there have been others that the council have and other councils have struck very good deals with developers in order in order to provide much needed social yeah. housing as well as... Yeah, I mean, I mean, just a, firstly, look, I don't think it's correct to say that built rent has been phased out. Actually, one of the things the government did do is they put in restrictions that in terms of Housing developments, traditional houses, they can't all be rental only, but they specifically excluded apartments from that. So you can still build 100% rental only apartments. That is largely what's happening uh, around the country. I think that does create a problem for people who would like to genuinely would like to be able to buy an apartment, maybe to right size and they don't have that as an option. And I think that... What is that telling you, though? They they build and they claim it costs an awful lot to build an apartment block five, six storeys. And yet it's very lucrative for them to actually rent forever even though they have to do no, and so. It, and it's, it's more lucrative. And one of the reasons is because the, the state, for example, you you know, if you if you build a, a developer of a built-to-rent scheme, they'll be able to have a certain amount uh, rented out at you know, full market, market rates. But then the state will step in for any units that they can't get that for. They'll do long-term leases, or true hop or whatever and everything else. So it's kind of guaranteed, if you like, by the state. And those high rent levels are mm. gar- guaranteed by it. So Which Jane, a, do you feel any more sanguine after listening to that conversation? Um, to be honest, like you know, no, like obviously the government are, are doing taking steps to rectify the situation, but it, it's just not quick enough. I think is the issue for a lot of young people. Um, you know, like I look around at my friends, and none of them are in a position to buy a home yet. You know, we're we're coming up to thirty. You know, it's it's uh, you know that says an awful lot. I think, and a lot of people moving overseas and stuff as well. So the situation's not getting better anytime soon. Um, we talked a, a lot about um antisocial behaviour earlier in the programme and there are so many texts which came in. Um, One which uh, is concerning a a little bit uh, and it's about the number of people who come into the country uh, to do English language courses. English language students from Brazil, China make up a lot of the staff in our city's businesses and services. We actively market to them to come to Ireland to pay for tuition, pay rent, pay taxes and spend money. Then they arrive here and there's nowhere to live and they're getting attacked frequently on the street. It's a disgrace. On top of that, these students are telling each other uh, not to study in Dublin due to the violence and they're telling each other not to study in Limerick as Henry, Henry Street Guard Immigration Unit have people waiting up to four months for their appointment to get a work permit. How many of us could afford not to work for four months and now compound that for someone who's been saving for years in their home country uh, in their currency to afford to come here to pay and study? There are so many things we do that have unintended consequences, Cormac. Yeah, and uh, look, it's very worrying. It, there's no doubt about it. I heard the earlier segment um, and um, I think you had a retired guard on who was uh, speaking um 
And to me, I think it illustrates a problem. We're talking about it too often and businesses themselves, it's in the paper today, businesses themselves warning about certain hotspots where there are frequent issues. Uh, and it, some of it can be low level crime. It's not all assaults. Um, but obviously where it's assaults, as we saw the other evening on, on a gentleman who uh, from the States who comes here frequently, um, you know, attacked doing nothing, just standing outside, uh, I think, uh, a premises. But it, it, it points to a larger problem and that is um, obviously visibility of Gardaí. I've spoken about that here before. Uh, we need to see a greater guard of visibility in this in the city centre. But also recruitment is proving challenging despite the yeah. recruitment campaign that just was launched in April. Uh, and more Gardaí are coming into Templemore, but our numbers have fallen. It's 13,800 uh, Gardaí. Uh, there's 3,500 uh, 3, civilian staff working across the on Gardaí which frees up uh, many guards. But we need more on the beat guard and we need a greater guard of presence to combat this. Um, a text just came in from Mick in Wexford. It's not just an inner city issue. I visited Dublin yesterday and was walking in Dunleary on the walkway in front of Teddy's, uh, the ice cream place, mm-hmm. when two tourists were taunted, which quickly developed into threatening behaviour by a gang of about uh, 12 in the age group, 10 to 12 years old. I became embroiled in it when I came to the defence of the tourists. Pushing and shoving ensued, but it could always go in a different direction with different results when knives seem so prevalent. Today's criminals are yesterday's misbehaved youths. Please act now. Now, this is nothing to do with Teddy's, of course. No, no, it's no. just happened to be the location. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so people in their mind's eye who know Dunleary can imagine where this happened in a very public place, very, you know, loads of walkers, loads of, of people around and still that kind of very robbery scenic happens. location and indeed very safe uh, by and large. But like like that and like your texture about Limerick as well, uh, there are serious challenges in urban areas and in, in rural areas too, but particularly in urban areas such as Dublin City uh, and County. Uh, we have to see a greater pr- presence as well as on public transport but I've spoken about that before. Now to conclude today um, Keen O'Callaghan will you be paying your TV licence? I always do yeah. yeah. You always do and you encourage people to so do in spite of all the the news over the last Yeah well look I think it's very important in terms of that we have public service broadcasting very important that the the staff behind the scenes who do incredible work in RT and in other broadcasters aren't penalised as a result of uh, what's what's happening uh, and like I was talking to an engineer in RT for example who's been with them about 15 years still doesn't have a permanent contract gets no holiday pay no sick pay uh, Isn't works, that works, the hidden scandal that is yet total, to emerge? It's, total, it's a total, sc- total scandal yeah total scandal and it's a terrible way to be treated Corner. people yeah. Will you pay your license? Of course you will, uh, abso- as a public servant. Uh, absolutely, Pat, and uh, always do. But I think, um, look, we've seen a 30% decrease uh, in the last uh, month on uh, people paying. So I don't think that's a trend, but I think it's something to be monitored. And RTE obviously have to in- ensure that there's trust, public and Jane, confidence. when you get a house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But I can understand why people are saying they won't pay it. But I know we've seen, like T. Shuckley over Adker said last week, that he does hope to change the system within the lifetime of this government. And we haven't really seen any meat on the bones of what that might look like whether it be a public service charge or whatever and the journal.ie might even benefit from such a change that's the thing yeah we'll bring in a lot of different publications so and even how would that work in practice is another completely different question so there's an Mm. awful lot for the government to, to deal with there if they get it done in the lifetime of this government will be, you know, it's yeah. yet to be seen. Uh, I mean, the question of taxing it by individual taxation and some element of your income tax goes to pay towards the media fee or whether you just put it on the utility bill, the electricity bill, because you can't charge your phone, you can't charge your screen unless you have electricity. Now, 
if you're green and you have a solar panel on the roof, you're grand. <laughs> so be a few ex- exemptions there. Look, uh, that's all we have time for today. My thanks to Jane Matthews, political reporter with the Journal.ie, Keno Callan, deputy leader of the Social Democrats, TD for Dublin Bay North, and Cormac Devlin, TD for Dunleary, and Fianna Fáil chief whip and deputy chief government whip. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.